as the plates are being passed and as you are, I want to say welcome to all of our visitors here. We have several new faces that I've never met before. Some I've met at other times, but we're glad to hear. Miss Geraldine, I think, has about two rows alone back there, don't you, Miss Geraldine? Amen. Well, we're glad that everyone is here. Miss Geraldine, is she's one of our favorites around here. Amen. And God bless you. And the Werner family, they've come all the way from Chattanooga. We're glad that you guys are here. And uh, Ray and Margo, you're part of us, but we're glad you're back too. They, they show up whenever we have communion and we have food. So um, if you were here early... That's right, the priorities. But we're glad that you guys are here. Um, and Mark, I'm sorry, your name was and Amanda. I was going to say Andrew, but it's Amanda. Thank you. God bless you. We're glad. And you're a Tennessee Tech grad. What year? 2003. Well, welcome back home. Amen. We're glad that you guys are here. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking up the offering. At this time, do we have any children that need to be dismissed? All right. We are blessed with many children in our congregation, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, and as visitors who are here, we always allow parents to decide uh, their children uh, to stay in or go. Gen- our rule is generally five years and younger uh, to go out into children's church, but if uh, I always let that decision be made by the parents. And uh, they go and they learn scriptures and uh, they have fun, but uh, it's not babysitting back there in that room. Uh, they always studied God's Word. Amen? Even at their age, even at their age. Will you turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew chapter 28. This final chapter of Matthew's gospel is the most important chapter of the entire New Testament. Amen? If you're able to stand... Will you please stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word? We'll be reading verses 1 through 10 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we praise you for your word. And your servant Matthew has given us a wonderful account of that most glorious day. 
That day that your son Jesus Christ came out of that grave who conquered death so that our sin could be conquered as well. And Father, this is why we worship you this morning. And so God, I pray now that you would speak to each and every one of us through your word. Cause us to see the impact of this wonderful historical and true and eternal event. Father, cause us to see your grace, but also cause us to stand in awe of your power. Lord, let this time be for your glory. We thank you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. I heard a hearty amen back here. Who said that? Amen. God bless you. This is an amazing story, isn't it? Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It is amazing truth of the gospel. It is an amazing truth of the church. Why is it that we celebrate today of all days? It's because without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Without the resurrection, there would be no hope. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't have any purpose to be here today. Amen? Other than just to be seen and look pretty, which is vain and temporary at best. Amen? This final chapter of Matthew's gospel is the most important chapter for the Christian faith. I want to drive that point home. Because the resurrection of the crucified Jesus Christ, and I emphasize that, it's not the resurrection of a Jesus Christ who fainted on the cross and woke up three days later. This is the resurrection of the crucified Christ who was as dead as you and I will be dead someday. Resurrection means coming back from the dead. The resurrection of our crucified Lord is the turning point of the New Testament. And it is the turning point of the Christian faith, period. All of the gospel centers around this key element of the Christian faith. This is the death of death. Jesus coming out of the grave is the death of death. Now, many of you are sitting scratching your head thinking, but all of us are going to die. Every one of us in this room have been to some funeral at some point in our lives. Yet, Jesus has shown us that in Him, death is conquered. That even though our loved ones may have gone on before us, and every one of us here at some point will follow the same path, our physical bodies will stop. But in Christ, that death is no longer in control. In Christ, that death is just a turning point to an eternity with Him. Christ's resurrection from the grave actually solidifies the purpose of his life and of his ministry. Death that comes out of sin is no longer powerful. In other words, death no longer controls our eternal destinies. Death is now transformed to an eternal life possible only in Christ Jesus himself. That's the point of today. There are Now, there's two points in this passage that I want us to focus on that will help us to confirm and defend this very important point of the Christian faith. First of all, Jesus' followers, his disciples, they personally saw the risen Lord. Anyone who would say and doubt that Jesus was not risen from the grave, that this is just a fable, we have witnesses who say that. Amen? 
And the second point I want us to see is that Jesus' disciples, his followers, they considered the resurrection from the grave conclusive evidence that Jesus was truly the Messiah promised from the Old Testament prophets. There were a lot of prophets and messiahs, quote-unquote, who had come onto the scene for years prior to this. For centuries, there would be men who would rise up and have a following of people and claim messiahship, but every single one of them died and they stayed in the grave, therefore showing that they were liars. Most gracefully, maybe they were just lunatics. But Jesus Christ came from the grave. So what we're going to see here is we're going to see two different reactions to this event in chapter 28. We're going to see fear at the heart of both of these reactions. But the Roman guards, even though they trembled in fear like dead men, they responded to the events one way, and the women who were there, they were also terrified. But oh, they received so much grace. Amen? So let's, let's take a look here at what we have to see here. Verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's what I want us to see first, is that this momentous occasion began with an earthquake. The earth moved. Anybody been through an earthquake? Some of y'all from California, that's why you've left California to come to the promised land of Tennessee. Amen? We got tornadoes, but we don't have earthquakes. It can be scary, it can be in in a very traumatic earthquake. I can imagine that this earthquake was not just a 3.0 on the Richter scale. I would say it was beyond the 7.0 max. I would say that this, because this is God's power coming down to open up the grave, to bring out His Son, Jesus Christ, this earthquake would grab your attention. Because when God moves, He moves. And this earthquake caused reactions from two different groups of people at the grave, and they, they all were in fear, but they saw this in two different lights. This resurrection of Christ is more than simply a a once-a-year remembrance. That's the significance of this passage. It's full of expression. What God is doing here as Jesus is coming out of the grave, as this earthquake is coming, this is a full expression of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Why do we know that? Because God throughout all, from, from Genesis all the way to this point in Matthew, God has made promise after promise after promise, every promise fulfilling the one before. His faithfulness to the covenant that he made with Adam, the covenant he made with Abraham, the covenant with Noah, and then the covenant to Israel through Moses, and then to David, and finally, through Jesus Christ, as Jesus comes out of the grave, He is showing that God's faithfulness is trustworthy. That God has fulfilled His promises that He's been making all of this time. And in this scene we read about Matthew's, in Matthew's Gospel, this the same scene we can also find in Mark chapter 16 and Luke 26. It's the scene of redemption. This is the scene of redemption. As Jesus is coming out of the grave, He is making it possible for us all to be redeemed from our sin. Because He's conquering the penalty for sin, which is death. The lively assurance of our reconciliation with God arises 
when Christ, who comes from hell to conquer death, he comes up out of the grave and he brings his rescue people with him in order to show that he had the power of a new life at his disposal. You see that? Now, Paul the Apostle also follows the same idea. He reminds the faithful of the church this, that there will be no other gospel. This is it. What we read here in Matthew 28 is the final conclusion to the gospel narrative. Yet at the same time, it's the beginning of a new gospel narrative in life with Christ. You see that? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what Paul says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. I hear a lot of pages. That's wonderful. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see what Paul's telling us here? Without Christ coming out of the grave, we're still in our sin. You realize that? And if we are still in our sin, we have no hope of reconciliation with the Father. And this life that we have is it. And if once we die, we are still condemned for eternity. Without Christ, we have no hope. And so what Jesus is doing here, coming out of the grave, is showing us that death is no longer powerful. Here's what the English theologian John Owen said. He said, there is no death of sin without the death of Christ. Every one of us understands that this world we live in is not right. Even the most vile pagan who hates Jesus Christ will acknowledge that this world is somehow troubled. Without Christ, there is no death of sin. So Jesus Christ coming out of the grave is the hope for the church. It's the hope of all of humanity that there is a possibility that our sin can be atoned for, that our sin no longer controls us. That is exactly what the resurrection is about. Amen? Here's the meaning of the resurrection. Jesus comes out of this grave in a miraculous way, first of all. There's an earthquake. And his method of telling... But here's the thing. Even though there was this earthquake and there was this, this angel that shows up that moves this rock as if it was just a toy... Notice how Jesus lets everybody know that he's out of the grave. I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus and I'd been dead for three days and I had died the kind of death that he did, as horrible as it was, when I came out of the grave, I'd want to let everybody know. And I'd probably stick out my tongue and say, nah, I was right. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Jesus doesn't do that. Notice the power of Jesus here. He reveals His resurrection to the world in a much different way than you and I would. He gradually brings His disciples to the understanding of His revelation, of His resurrection. 
Even though Jesus, this is what we looked at for the last couple of weeks, even though Jesus prepared his disciples for what was coming, as he does come out of the grave, he reveals himself gradually. Ponder this. First, he comes out of the grave without a first-hand witness. There was nobody there to witness him actually coming out of the grave. Even though they were witnessing the angel coming down and moving the stone, when the stone was moved away, there was no body there. Nobody witnessed his dead body get up. That's the first thing to notice. The emptiness of the tomb would actually be the first indication that he was gone. But the rock was sealed. We see this in Matthew chapter 28 in the previous verses that we did not read today, that the Roman guard sealed the tomb. But when the rock came away, there was no body. Where'd the body go? (laughs) You can't claim that somebody stole it because the rock was sealed. The guards were there. Nobody carried a body out. Yet the first indication that Jesus was not there was that when you go in, it was empty. Next, he chooses to announce himself to the women by the angel. Now, these women who come to the grave, we see why they come. Look here in verse 1 of Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Now, verse 1 here, it makes us think that there was only two women. But the other accounts, in Luke's account especially, implies that there was more than just them. Perhaps there was a group of women coming on the Sabbath, or the day after the Sabbath, which would have been Sunday morning, and they were coming to pay a tribute to the body, to anoint the body, and to love and, and just grieve over the body. And so what does he do? He chooses to announce to the women through the angel. Notice here in verse 2 that when the angel comes, there's an earthquake. And verse 3, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. This angel that comes down, he is bringing the glory of the Lord with him. The descriptions here in verse 3 is is similar to the same descriptions that we find in Ezekiel's prophecy about the glory of the Lord. I would encourage you to go and read Ezekiel. When he describes the presence of the Lord, this is almost how he describes it. These women, though, as they come, as Jesus is announcing to them, the women are commissioned to teach the men about the resurrection. Notice this as he says in verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Verse 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. You see, there's two reactions here. Verse 4, The Roman guards were terrified and they're described as dead men. You ever been so scared that you're dead? Yet the women, look here in verse 5, They received the grace of God through the angel, but the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. These women come to the tomb to see physically a body. If you've ever lost a loved one, part of the process of grief is that you will go and visit the grave regularly to be in physical proximity to your loved one because the connection is still there. It's almost like a reassurance that You're not going crazy. This person has passed on, even though you still feel their presence. And these women are coming to the grave to see their Jesus, even though he's in the grave. And this angel here, he talks to them. The women are commissioned to go and talk to the other men. Their passion 
would be their teacher. Now, this is, this is an interesting thing. Notice that the angel does not send the women. He doesn't talk to the men first. He does, he's not revealing himself to the disciples. Why? Because the men, the disciples aren't there. Where are the men? They're terrified and they're scared and they're hiding because they know if they're seen on, on the streets, they'll be arrested and crucified too. But the women, they go forth. And notice what the angel here does. He sends them to the disciples, to the men, in order to teach them the truth. Now, we could also say here that the women could also be blamed for lack of faith because as they come to the grave, they felt that they were still going to see a dead body. So you could argue that they could still be faulted for not trusting Jesus that he would come out of the grave. They came knowing that there would be a dead body there, yet it wasn't. They failed to understand the meaning of the resurrection fully. But notice this, that it is the women who are sent by the, uh, by the angel to go to the disciples. Look here what it says here in verse 6 and following. The angel continues, He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So these women are sent, in verse 7, to the disciples. I see this as a condemnation of the men. God revealed the truth of the resurrection to the women first. And they were to go to the men and teach them about the resurrection. Now, this is not a passage that says women come into the pulpit and preach. Different story. Now, what's happening here is notice that the men who are not acting like men, they're hiding, and it's the women who come. It's the angel who sends the women to teach the men, look, Jesus was right. It was a condemnation of the men for being not manly. The women must tell them. It's as if God chooses the foolish to confound the wise. Now, before you go out and say that the pastor says women are foolish, that's not what I said. But in this context, the women telling the men would have been an embarrassment to the men. You notice that? Because they're hiding. God chooses the foolish to confound the wise. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. These men, these apostles of Christ, would need to be humbled before Christ elevated them to prominence for the glory of the kingdom. These were the, the eleven at this point. Would have been raised up to spread the gospel around the world, but before they could do that, they had to be humbled. And God uses these faithful women even in that process. Notice what's happening here. It's important to notice that there was this great earthquake. And these women experienced the earthquake. It's important to note that God's glory was made manifest in a supernatural way here. Both to show the women and the guards His power. The power of this great angel is the power of God. And these women experienced it. But notice the difference in how the angel reacted. First of all, as as the angel comes... In verse 2 and in verse 3, verse 2 says that the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Almost like this is just a game to me. Can you imagine? He comes and he rolls back the stone. He just sits on it like, done. 
Can you imagine witnessing that? Can you imagine witnessing the power of God here in that? This angel simply sits upon it as if to communicate how easy this was for him. How easy it was for God to accomplish. Jesus Christ cannot stay in the grave. His power over death is that great. Can you imagine that scene? It's interesting here that, look here in verse 4. Verse 4 tells us, And for fear of him, the angels, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And so through this earthquake, the powerful strength of God is shown through this great angel. And God places deathly fear, this terror in these Roman guards. These Roman guards were pagans who had many gods. It's interesting here that, that in Roman culture, they, stu- they, they worshipped a polytheistic style of religion, meaning that there were many gods in their religious system. But in this polytheistic religion of the Roman Empire, they valued strength and power as that which was just. If you wanted to define justice in the Roman uh, Empire, it was those who had the most power and the most authority and the most strength. You see the irony here? These Roman guards are in terror because they are part of the Roman Empire, the strongest empire of the time. They ruled the world. Yet here's this angel who just moves a rock like a toy. And they stand in awe. They stand in terror. God strikes fear into these men to show them who he is. Now notice here, we also know that after this passage in verses 11 and following, that when these Roman guards go back, they are actually paid off by the chief priests to tell a lie. Because you can imagine witnessing this. You are a Roman guard. You're supposed to, you're supposed to secure this scene and it clearly is not secure anymore. And you go back and you report this to your authorities. Guess what happens? You might get crucified yourself. But notice the scandal in the politics here. These men, these Roman guards, even if they wanted to go tell everybody what they saw, they were paid off, but they didn't dare because they knew the consequences as well. But notice what God is doing here. When God strikes fear into these men, He ensures that they will always remember the resurrection, whether they want to tell anybody or not. This moment of resurrection is going to haunt these Roman guards for the rest of their lives. Even if they go and they spread lies like Matthew chapter 28 verses 14 and 15 say, the truth is going to be with them for the rest of their lives. These men witnessed the resurrection, yet they can't tell anybody, but they know. You see, here's the thing about God's truth. You can hide from God's truth. You can refuse to admit and accept God's truth. You could take the gospel of Jesus Christ and just throw it away. But if you experience what these men experienced, if you experience the truth of the gospel, it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life whether you realize it or not. You notice what God is doing here? He's striking fear in these men that will never leave them on their deathbed, they will recount this event. Now look here in verse 5 of Matthew 28. 
Let's contrast how these Roman guards respond to how the women respond. These women were also terrified. Verse 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now both groups were afraid. The Roman guards were afraid. The women were afraid. But notice how God consoles them and gives them a bit of grace. The women were, were terrified, but God's grace has a different purpose for them. The fear in their minds receives consolation by the words of the angel in order to begin the journey toward hope in the resurrection that only genuine resurrection can provide. See, You see, the resurrection here, as terrifying as this event was, also brings in hope. But in order for the women to embrace the hope, there had to be grace poured out upon them in the midst of their fear. Now, how did the fear get there? God pours out fear in them in this miraculous earthquake. But had God's grace not been poured out over these women, they would have been crushed under the oppressive weight of the terror. Notice that. If you're terrified to this level, these ladies, had they not received consoling grace and love through God, they would have been useless for the kingdom. Yet God pours out grace upon them. And He comforts them through the words of this angel, so that they could go and they could be sweet witnesses of God's grace because God's grace heals the wound of the terror that is inflicted upon them. The terror of the Roman guards is different. The Roman guards receive no consolation. They're allowed to suffer under their own terror and their own unbelief. God allows them to suffer under their own terror. The Romans' minds were insensitive to God. They trembled, and they quickly forgot the power of God's presence, and their terror actually shows that their faith is absent. But these ladies, they come, and we clearly see their faith here because their faith in Jesus Christ is actually the conduit by which God comforts them as well. You see that? Although the Roman guards... And these women both experienced the same terror. This is what I want us to see here. We'll close out with this. God pours His soothing grace on the women who believe. He does not pour out His grace upon the Roman soldiers who are skeptical. Notice the difference? The men are allowed the consequences of their fear. The women are given assurance and joy that is grounded in the resurrection. They receive the blessing of the resurrection because their faith causes them to be receptive of the grace. But these Roman soldiers, they lived in terror, actually rejected what they saw. Probably in their mind they had to somehow change their mindset, change their memories. Otherwise, if their memories continued on in truth, they would not be able to survive the terror. You ever do that? You go through a little bit of trauma and afterwards you change the memory of what happened. Been there, done that? We do that so that we can cope. Yet what happens, see with these Romans, they're changing perhaps in their mindset so that they can cope with the terror, but in so doing, they're rejecting the truth of the gospel. They're rejecting the truth of what they witnessed. Here's the meaning of this day. These are the words of Martin Luther King Jr. 
This was from a sermon that he preached in Montgomery, Alabama in 1957 at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Rhonda, you remember going to that church? Rhonda and I visited that. Uh, a wonderful experience visiting that church. Here's what he said in that sermon. He said, Easter comes out ringing in terms that we all hear if we seek to hear it. That the soul of man is immortal. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have fit testimony that this earthly life is not the end, that death is just something of a turn in the road, that life moves down a continual moving river, and that death is just a little turn in the river, that this earthly life is merely an embryonic prelude to a new awakening, that death is not a period which ends this great sentence of life, but a comma that punctuates it more loftier significance. That is what it says. That is the meaning of Easter. That is the question that Easter answers. That death is not the end. You see, the hope of the Christian is this. We may stop breathing. And there will be a day that everyone in this room will suffer that end. But that's not the period. Death for the Christian is merely a transition a turn in the road where Jesus will greet us as we make that turn and he'll say, come on home, good and faithful servant. Come and live with me for eternity. That's the hope of the Christian. You ever been to a funeral of somebody who is not a Christian? There is an overwhelming sense of despair there. Yet if you go to a funeral of a dear saint that everybody knew was a saint and there was no question that they were in Christ, it's a celebration. One funeral that I preached, they had balloons for this dear lady because that's what she requested. It's a going home party for her. And I preached that funeral. It was hard. But oh boy, it was a celebration. Amen? So what is today about? It's about getting dressed up. Thank you all for getting dressed up. Thank you all for celebrating with family. It is about family. It's about making memories together. It's about making memories in Christ together. Yeah, why do we celebrate today of all days every year? It's because the Christian has a hope that death is not the end. But if you're not in Christ, the reaction of the Roman soldiers is your reaction. It's one of terror. It's one of confusion. It's one of the rest of your life. You will be wrestling in your mind with what you've heard or seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you've heard the gospel. My question for you is as you leave here today, what is your reaction to the resurrection? Is your reaction like the Roman soldiers, one of terror and rejection and, and probably sub, suppressing the memory because you don't want to deal with the truth? Or is your reaction to the resurrection like these ladies? They received comfort and grace so that they could go and express with joy to the other men, our Savior is risen because they saw him. I want to close with this, and this, I promise you, this is what I want, that we will close with this. When you look down in, in Matthew 28, verse 8 and following, let's, let's look at how these women embrace Jesus. 
So they, the women, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. The mix of fear and joy there. You see that? And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. At this point in verse 9, they see Jesus. Jesus meets them on the road and he says greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Can you imagine grabbing the feet of your Savior that you watched die on the cross two days before? I want to point out this. Those skeptics who say that Jesus was just this ghost. Notice here in verse 9. And Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet. Folks, ghosts don't have feet. Let that just sink in for a minute. Ghosts don't have feet. They float. Yet they grabbed his feet and they worshipped him. That tells you that Jesus, when he came out of that grave, he was just as human in the new body and the new resurrection as ever could be. And that's the hope of us. But there is a physicality to it that is real. It's not this figment, this phantasm, this floating around as a spirit. There is something real in the resurrection. And we are guaranteed as Christ followers, and that's another sermon altogether that I could go two more hours on. We are guaranteed a resurrection if we're in Christ. And that resurrected body will be something that will be miraculous and glorious. But we'll have feet too. Amen? It's going to be real. But it's going to be something different. It's going to be perfected. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, today of all days is the day that we worship and we celebrate and we remember the most important aspect of the Christian faith is this right here, that your son, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. He conquered death and we have the same hope. And so God, I pray this morning that you would cause us to embrace that truth. Lord, we can fail too often and just remember Easter as a day of good stories and a day of the end of winter and that the sun is back out and the, and the sun is shining and, and, the, and the flowers and the tulips are blooming again and all of that is wonderful. New life is coming on your in your creation at this season of life. But God, you're, the truth of your resurrection of your son goes beyond that. And I pray to God this morning, all who hear your word, would react to it one of two ways. First, Lord, I pray that they would not turn their back on you. I pray that they would not run in fear and be numb to the glorious transformation that new life can bring. I pray, God, instead that they would react with faith, fear mingled with joy, but embracing the feet of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray for the rest of our calendar year that we do not become complacent and tired in understanding the truth of the resurrection. Without it, we have no hope. Without it, we have no eternal security. Without it, Father, we're dead in our sin. Your Son, Jesus Christ, conquered death. He conquered sin. Hallelujah. And God, you've given us a gift. And that's the hope of grace and salvation in your Son. 
I thank you for coming after us and not letting us go. I thank you for providing for us hope and eternal security. Thank you for saving us from sin. Thank you for saving us from death. Thank you for life. As we transition now, Lord, in our service, we will now remember what our Savior did for us on that cross. As we partake in the bread and the juice, this is a remembrance for us of the death of your Son. Help us to focus, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.